Hey there and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. It is a beautiful day. Feels like springtime even though it's already summer. But the temperature is not too hot. There is some sunlight but also some clouds. Just before I started recording there was this uh, small airplane that was towing this uh, glider airplane behind it. And it must be a beautiful day to fly. There's not much wind. And uh, it's quiet. It's, uh, it's a nice Saturday afternoon. And what makes this day extra special is the fact that I have a completely empty agenda today. No meetings. Nothing that I have to do other than walking and uh, talking, (laughs) maybe play a video game, read a book. That's been a long time since I've had a day without any obligations. And it comes after an extremely busy week, so I'm enjoying it even even more. It's when you you don't have time that you miss it the most. (laughs) And uh, I'm, I'm glad that Today I could do, I could spend some time on things that are helping me to find my balance. I'm walking through the same park. It's a bit of a combination of a park and and well, not really a forest, but definitely the, the woods. Um, this has quickly become one of my favorite places to uh, to walk to run to meditate, even to pray. It's very close to where I live. I think it's about three, four minutes. You have to go underneath the, uh, the highway that circles the city. And then you're out in the open. And it's, it's really... It's not entirely... Oh, <laughs> the downside is it's not entirely... Uh, um, Remote because there, there was this bike behind me, so there are a lot of people that are using this to go from one town to another. But if I go left here, for instance, and I'm really in the woods, and now that it's summer and all the trees have their uh, their leaves and you have that fragrant smell of of nature, it's really a great place to be. This is also uh, the time that the wildflowers are starting to bloom. Just uh, came past a little patch where they did not uh, mow the grass, and then you, you see you start to see all these uh, different colors: orange flowers and lots of shades of blue and purple. Gorgeous. Lots of butterflies as well. And earlier this morning, I went out for a long run, an hour and a half. I'm trying to uh, gradually increase the distance and the time that I'm running. Not that I'm really training for anything, even though officially I'm still uh, signed up for Marathon of Rotterdam that was canceled in April and was moved to October. But really no one (laughs) expects this to go through all public events have been cancelled for the next couple of months and uh, our government uh, is uh, 
is giving the message that probably there won't be any big events before there is um, a cure, before there is a vaccine. And I am glad that our government is responsible like that. It's not the same in other parts of the world, as I learned from the news. I'm especially worried about my friends in the United States and some of those states there. Um, COVID-19 is still affecting many people and it doesn't seem that the curve is the curve is going down in some places, it's even going up. And maybe it is because people are not careful enough and they seem to uh, want to believe that it's over because they're fed up. With these, these, it's just a few weeks, but it's incredible how how quickly people think that they they have the right to return to normal, even though the danger is just as real as it was uh, when this whole corona situation started. But I hope that uh, um, people will be quick to react when whenever they see with their own eyes that the virus is spreading again. Uh, here in the Netherlands, everything is still very, very, you know, stabilized, uh, looking good. There are a few people that die every day from uh, from COVID-19. You know, 4, 10, 11, nothing like the thousands of people that died in uh, the weeks prior. And also the number of uh, cases, new cases that are discovered, even though they, we have much more testing going on than uh, we used to have, the number of cases, new infections is still going down all the time, which is very reassuring. But of course, we live in a connected world. And as you know, in many other parts of the world, especially in uh, South America right now, the virus is still on the increase and is... Uh, causing havoc uh, in an unprecedented fashion. So as long as in other parts of the world this virus is not under control, it's, uh, I think, an illusion to think that you're safe and that uh, soon life will be back to normal. I don't think that will be the case anytime soon. But for now, situation is stable as long as people stay prudent and as long as we don't do any stupid things <laughs> then... Uh, I think we're going to at least have a relatively calm summertime. And that is uh, something that I'm grateful for. Because I will need that summertime to uh, accomplish a number of, uh, of, of tasks, of bigger tasks. Uh, the main one is the production of my TV show. Which uh, consists of an order of 15 television episodes of about 25 minutes and uh, with a slightly different format I cannot travel I cannot go to Rome I can't um, go to other parts of the world like I did in the previous season so instead I'm going to travel in my own country and I've decided to do something that I've never done before uh, in this television show and that is to travel by bike to go and visit all these places and people that I'm going to interview on a bike and I'm currently talking to my broadcasting company to see what kind of bike uh, I'm going to uh, rent or buy or whatever I hope that they can uh, 
help me financially a little bit. What I would like to have is a bike that I can use for several seasons. Um, and that once I've done this tour of the Netherlands, maybe for the next season I can go across the border and maybe go on a pilgrimage. I'd love to go to Santiago one day by bike. So I did the walking. <laughs> Biking to Santiago is, uh, is um, I think, fe- more feasible for me. To uh, I can carve out two weeks to do that. And uh, I can also go and visit other places. There is a certain charm about traveling by bike, I think. It's very Dutch. But it also um, creates much more occasions for encounters. Uh, it's one of the things that I loved when I was on the Camino. It's all these different conversations, people that you would meet along the road. You don't have that when you're in a car. Because then your GPS is telling you to take the next turn and drive for five kilometers <laughs> and then turn left and there is no incentive to stop and meet people. Whereas if you, if you walk, if you bike, well, you have to stop from time to time. You, have to, you can <laughs> uh, slow down and meet other people. So hopefully um, I, can, I can figure something out. Still um, pondering. That's what I was doing when I was running. I was in this zone, which is one of the things that I love about running. So... You know, you start up, it's still in the morning. It was like nine o'clock. You start running, you've just had your first cup of coffee. Uh, My body is still trying to wake up. And then uh, after about 20 minutes, I get into this, this, this constant rhythm. And it's almost hypnotic. And I forget that I'm running. And I'm just... In my mind, I'm thinking about stuff. And there is something about moving and thinking that is extremely productive for me. It's just like this episode of The Walk and any episode of The Walk. Because I'm walking, it helps me think. It's very strange. Of course, it also helps that I'm in a nice environment, surrounded by trees. And uh, the, the, the noise of the traffic is far away in the distance. It is... Uh, very conducive to creative thinking. The, uh, the idea that I had was, well, maybe I can just, instead of um, taking my bike in my car, for instance, and then traveling to um, the various places that I want to visit, and then take the bike out and film a little bit of uh, me on the bike arriving somewhere, why don't I just do it for real and try to find two or three weeks where I can just do that. I can travel through. The, the Netherlands is not a very big country. And I think in, a, in three weeks you could probably cover most of the Netherlands. It won't always be the most efficient way to get from one place to another. But I, I think that if I plan it well, then I may be able to use it to my advantage and the, tri- the trip itself can become part of the story so but it's uh, it would also imply that I take all my equipment with me maybe even a tent uh, to, to sleep uh, in campings or whatever um, so uh, <laughs> when I'm when I'm on the road to Camino, everyone is doing that. And then, of course, the particular 
the itinerary that you follow is suited for this type of travel. There are lots of places where you can stay for the night and you can wash your clothes and eat. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, if, the, if that also applies to the situation here in the Netherlands. But we'll see. It's just one of these things that I feel that I... It's going to be all right. Because I've, I've been doing this for years, so I know what I can do. Um, it's just the logistics that are uh, still not coming together. And I, I, it's not that it's hard, uh, but it, it just takes time to incubate. But for me, the creative process is like hatching an egg. I've got to sit on it for a while, and sometimes it takes, you know, a couple of weeks. And then, but I know that when it hatches, I have something good. So I'm just going to give myself the time to work that out. And, uh, and I'm glad that we've been able to take away the stress of doing that immediately. It was a difficult decision because initially I thought that I would be uh, currently in full production. I'm back at the uh, road here, as you can tell. But I'm turning to the right here, I think. Uh, wait a minute, that is a dead end. The Nijkerkerstraat. Or is it really? Oh yeah, that's private property, I think. It's gonna end up in a... Uh, on the turf of a farm. So I'm gonna cross the road here and then head into these woods. Get off the road. Oh yeah, there is a nice path, nice path here. Sand path, maybe this is for horses, I don't know. But it takes me away from the noise of the, of the road. Such a difference with a couple of weeks ago when this entire area would be so quiet. I long for that time. <laughs> there were definitely some advantages to this uh, quarantine. But uh, I wanted to film everything in the month of June, and I was uh, looking at ways to realize that. And then, but, but then we did the math. Um, it the, the, what we what, what I first thought we would do was actually quite expensive. It was more expensive than anything I've done before for TV, and uh, it was mostly because of this pressure that I felt of, of renewing the format of the, of the show. Uh, we went through some creative sessions and then came up with this idea, well, why don't we do something with uh, traveling through the Netherlands? And, but the original format was much more elaborate and therefore more expensive. It would lead to an increase of about 20% per episode. It's a thousand bucks more. You know, on a total budget of 5000 for an entire TV episode. That is a lot. And uh, you have to keep in mind that um, I, one of the reasons that I work so hard for television is that it provides me with the income to pay back to my diocese. Um, I am not sponsored by my diocese or by my parish to do this kind of work. Um, I... I uh, 
I'm full, uh, fully employed by the diocese, which means I, my income is just like any other priest. The difference is that <laughs> the parish pays 20% of all my costs to the diocese right now, and I have to cough up the remainder, which is 80% of what do I, what is my income per year? 36,000, something like that. Um, so uh, I, I really need that income from television to be able to pay back the bishop. And if I can't, then I don't think I'll be able to do this media work anymore. So, um, and it's been like this. And if you've been listening to me for several years, you know that, that this is, that has been the case for about 15 years now. But I've always been able to, uh, to manage. And I'm glad that because of that financial liberty, I don't have any debts. Um, and I work hard to to be able to uh, take care of my own salary in a, in a way. Um, it also gives me a lot of freedom. It gives me uh, the ability to, to uh, try out new ideas and nobody is going to bug me like, but, but that costs so much money. <laughs> the only time that that sometimes happens is, well, an example just recently because I've been spending so much time on helping the parishes with their uh, live streams. Um, I ended up working almost full-time, I think. And then uh, the other day we had a meeting with the representatives of the two parishes uh, and with uh, some people from the board of of, uh, Tridio. And we tried to explain that, well, this is... is, um, the, the, the extra time that I invest in helping these parishes has to come from something. So it is actually Tridio is paying for, for all this because it's, the, it's coming out of the 80% that uh, we have to pay back to the diocese. And unfortunately, they, uh, they were not willing to compensate me for that at all. So it means that I've been uh, working, and this is a very modest calculation about 24 hours per week um, for the parishes without getting any type of compensation and uh, well (laughs) it's not something that I would do again anytime soon let's put it that way because uh, I I need that time uh, to to do my other work and so my television production has been delayed already for two months now and uh, and it's not over. The parish is still uh, draining my time, uh, and it's, it's requiring, it's requesting a lot of time, a lot of extra work. But their point of view is, well, we only have a contract for eight hours per week. So if you go over those eight hours, you should have asked us first, and then we would have told you not to work extra. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the Netherlands for you. So, and of course, there's no use for me going to my other employer, to the diocese, because well, we didn't ask you to go and help these parishes. Anyway, turning the page, <laughs> it does really um, 
emphasize again how important it is to plan ahead and to make choices. Um, which is difficult because a, a lot of things are, are good and can help. But it doesn't mean that it's always the responsible thing to do. I, I heard a, an interesting meditation the other day. So it was at the start of our board meeting. We, we have a tradition in, in the Netherlands to uh, start board meetings always with a, a moment of exchange and reflection, prayer, meditation. And so uh, this week, um, the, uh, the head of the, of the board, uh, Annette, uh, shared with us a story that she had already she's a teacher in school as well she shared many times before and it sounded very familiar at first and she even apologizes this is a story that uh, you know it's, it's very uh, um not, it's not very original you may have heard this before and i thought i had but there was a catch so she tells this story about uh, a wise old teacher who gathers his pupils his padawans in a circle around him and in his hand he has a, a, a glass vase and it's pretty large and next to the teacher on the ground he has a couple of big stones he take these, takes these rocks one by one and puts them in the vase until he can't fit any big rocks in it anymore and he takes the vase with both hands and shows it to his pupils and asks them, is this face vase full? And they see that the rocks are, are all in the, in the vase and it's filled to the brim. So they answer, yes, master, the vase is full. Not so fast, the teacher says, and he again bows down and takes a handful of uh, pebbles small pebbles that have been rounded off by the river and he throws them in the vase and they fit the holes between the bigger rocks and then he adds another handful and all those pebbles still fit in and then again he shows the vase to the pupils asks them uh, is this vase full now and they see how the pebbles have filled in the gaps between the rocks and they say yes Absolutely. It's full. Not so fast, the teacher says, and he bows down again, and he takes a handful of sand. And uh, he pours the sand in the vase, and the sand fills the empty spaces between the rocks and the pebbles. And he adds another hand of sand, and another one, and even a fourth and a fifth hand of sand. And because it's so fine... It can go where the bigger rocks can't go and where the pebbles can't go. And he fills it up and the vase this time looks really full. There is almost no visible space anymore in between the rocks and the pebbles and the sand. And so he shows it to his pupils. This now, right, right now it's full, right? They say, yes, master. Now it is absolutely full. There's no way you can put anything else in there. And he says, well, not so fast. And he walks to the river nearby and takes some water in both his hands. He cups them together and he pours the water in the vase. And 
water finds its way, starts filling up the lower part of the vase, and he adds more water and another gulp of water. And then uh, after four or five handfuls of water, the, uh, some of the pebbles start to float on top of the, of the vase. And then he shows it again to his pupils, and they, of course, they, they know what the answer should be. Is the vase full? Well, we, we, we thought it was full the previous times, but, uh, well, every time you could add more, so it's probably not full. And then the teacher says, smiles and says, no, now it's really full. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing that can fit in here anymore. But the teacher then asks his pupils, what does this teach us about time management? The disciples did not expect that question, so they look at each other, and then one raises her hand, and she says, Oh, Master, I think it teaches us, when it comes to time management, that there is always more room in your calendar than you think. There is always something extra that you can do, something you can squeeze in in between the bigger tasks. And uh, you always have to look for that, that opportunity in your calendar. What, what minute can I still use for something that is productive and can add to, to what I already do? And then she's convinced that she has given the right answer. And, and so was I when I was listening to that story. It's like, wow, yeah, okay. I don't know what to think of that because I don't like that message, but sure, that's probably going to be the gist of the, of the story. You can always... Your, your calendar is... Is, is never as full as you think it is. Just be creative with the open spaces. And then the teacher looks at her and shakes his head and says, you have understood nothing of this lesson. That is absolutely not what this teaches you about time management. But teacher, she asks, well, what does it teach me? And then he says, what I want you to remember is to always start with the big rocks first. If you don't start with the big rocks, but you start with the pebbles or with the sand or with the water, afterwards there's no way you can fit in these rocks anymore. Always start filling your vase with the big rocks. And the question is, what are your big rocks? What are the biggest stones that you need to add to your vase before you do anything else. That is the lesson that I want you to remember. I did not see that coming. <laughs> and it was really confronting, that story, because I thought, that is exactly... that is exactly my problem when it comes to time management, using my time, investing in things... For 12 weeks, I've had the feeling that I was used up by all these things that I had to take care of and this relentless pressure of having to do these, these online, making sure the online celebrations looked good and uh, negotiating with all these different people in the parish and with the pastor and the pastoral team and setting up a website and 
buying the cameras and instructing other people and then making sure that I added, that I squeezed out every opportunity that I could come up with. And then I did the same with the TV uh, pre-production where I was trying to maximize my time and felt that pressure of, well, we need to start quickly. We need, there needs to be a decision. And there were so many other things that I could not fit in anymore. But that actually, I think now in hindsight, were part of my bigger stones. I tried to fill the vase with all sorts of pebbles that weren't even mine and added water and sand in just random order without really thinking about the, the ultimate goal, which is to <laughs> start with the big stones first. I guess it's, a, it's part of how my brain functions. I'm literally talking about the brain functionality. This is almost a, a physiological uh, or biological fact that I'm aware of, and that is I've, I've often um, likened my mind to uh, the ball pit in Ikea, where it's just full of these colored balls, and they're all bouncing around, and sometimes when I have ideas, it feels like my head is uh, exploding with all these different colored balls, and I don't know which one to which one to, to take, and so I, I just slowly drown in, the, in this sea of red, blue, and yellow colored balls <laughs> until someone stretches out a hand and takes me out of it. But rarely do I, when I'm in a creative mode, rarely do I realize that all these ideas are like tiny little balls and I keep adding them to the ball pit without really thinking first well but if I add all these small balls even though they are bright and colorful and bouncy and and nice but will I be able to add the big ones later on I don't think so um so it's, it's, I'm, I'm easily distracted by my own ideas. Uh, and what is necessary in order to make sure that you never, your vase is not overflowing and you're not stuck with important things that you felt you should have done but you can't fit it in anymore is by reversing the process. And um, that is what's been keeping me occupied lately ever ever since I heard that metaphor or that story, that parable like what are my big stones right now and of course the pious answer would be the first big stone is God, it's prayer it's <laughs> um, but is it really is, is my priesthood and my relationship with God is that a thing or is it a state? Is it, is it a lifestyle? In a certain way, I think that my, my priesthood and prayer should be the water that permeates everything. That is what should fill in all the gaps. But in, instead, I'm try, sometimes I'm thinking about my, my own prayer life as, a, uh, as ice cubes or something. <laughs> like, as long as I put that in and I get it over with and 
But that's, of course, it's, it's not a project. My relationship with God and prayer is not, it's not a single project that, that is, you know, has a beginning and an end. No. It's an ongoing relationship. But it is something that should be always part of the mix. So once you take that off the table, that's not a stone, it's more the water. Um, and every day you have to pour it in, in a certain way. <laughs> God, that's the beauty of prayer. Prayer is like water. You can, you can even 30 seconds can be an occasion to pray. You can say that, that you know, Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's a very short prayer, but that little prayers like that, it's like water. It can fill in these, these moments of where you, you just look at the heavens and, <laughs> and, and reaffirm that relationship. Um, it's like a, a, when you were in love, and it's like a kiss. You, you know, when you're in love, it doesn't mean your, your, your relationship, your, uh, uh, your friendship should be a project that you have to spend like two hours every day on, <laughs> on, on, on nurturing that love and building it and growing it. That's a, a luxury that most people don't have. But it's something that should always fill in the, the blanks and the little holes in the day. And moments, small moments of kindness all added up. That is what is, I think, the place of love. And love and prayer are very similar in a, in a way. Uh, that's, that's how it should work. But what, what are the big stones? What are the big things? I think it's what... It comes down to discernment in that environment of love and the relationship with God, in my case, um, that will... I have to ask him, because ultimately he knows better than I do what, um, what my priority should be, what he wants me to do. And it, it's, not, it's usually not that complicated. God does not... Uh, well, sometimes he does, but... Sometimes he, he will ask you to do something extraordinary, something you've never thought of before. And, uh, and then all of a sudden your life may not, never be the same anymore. But most of the time, God is just asking you to do the things that he has put in front of you. And that you, you already know what, what you should do. You just sometimes need to ask, well, show me what not to do. Because I know what to do, but show me where to say no. That may be a much better question than to ask God, well, what do you want me to do? As if you don't know that. Um, but help me to say no to the, to the, you know, to the pebbles and the sand and the water before I've put in the big stones. Um, in my case, it, the big stones is also a matter of choosing, picking the ones that you want to um, invest in that you need to be in that vase um, and some of them are inevitable one right now television work that is a big big stone it should get priority the second one is part of my my actual mission that I've received from my bishop it is this media work uh, taking care of people 
by joining them there where they are in their own world try to speak their language um, reach out connect build friendships help if they need help so that work is more important than <laughs> than the little stuff so I've, I've been laser focused on on these uh, masses these online masses and I start to discover that even though that has reached a number of people that are very happy with it I try to I pushed it to the max and tried to be as professional as possible and and uh Maybe I did much more than was actually necessary. Um, so maybe so for me, I, that's definitely now, especially now that I know how um, what the parishes think about. I mean, they value it. It's just that they don't really want to invest too much in it. And some people uh, even have told me or kind of well, not, really, not really told me but you kind of feel it that they don't, don't even want it <laughs> so um, is it my responsibility of course in general I think that this is what parishes should do this is the future <clears throat> this is a this is this is going to be for a long time the easiest way to reach out and continue to build community with your existing parishioners but also with new people so do I believe that this is important and necessary and should have priority? Yes, absolutely. That's why I've been investing in, in helping other uh, priests so, uh, whenever they were uh, trying to figure out how to do this. I always made time so that I could help them. And last Saturday I went to Amsterdam and talked with volunteers there. And I feel that that is important because I think that, that if they really want it... I. I can help. But if you're in a situation where you see something that needs to happen, but that vision is not shared in the sa to the same extent as, uh, as you would wish, maybe it is time to step back a little bit. Because not everything that is necessary and important and good is also my responsibility and my job to do. So, it feels really weird, I have to say, because I've... Well, you've, you've heard me uh, in previous episodes how much I, I thought this was important to invest in. But now I'm starting to think, well... But you, you, I have to be careful not to try to give an answer to a question that does not exist. At least not in this particular situation. Uh, what about the International Mass? From the get-go, I've seen that as a part of my, of my media mission. This is, in a, in a certain way, even more important to me and to my mission than the regular parish mass in the morning. Because this is, uh, the, 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 this is a symbol also of, of my entire mission in new media. It's reaching out, trying to speak a language that people can understand that can that they can relate to that is different from the language that they often associate with the church help them bridge the cultural gap between the life of faith and their own uh, personal lives and interests and it has an international dimension it's not 
confined. It's, it's by definition open. That's why I use all these different languages so that many people can hopefully feel a little bit that this is theirs too, that they are involved in, in this uh, endeavor. So what we decided is that uh, that International Mass is going to be part officially of the mission of, uh, of Tridio. And therefore, we'll have to fit in my 80% of media work. So that is, and that's something that we decided together. It is, after some discernment, what we conclude is, is what we should do. At least as long as people are benefiting from it. And then that, is, that becomes a big stone. It means I can invest in it. I can uh, give it priority instead of, like now often was the case, where it's kind of almost an afterthought. Um, one of the main um, practical decisions based on that core decision of making this part of the bigger stones in right now <laughs> that need to fit into tritio vase and in my life is that um, uh, I'm going to move the mass back to 7 o'clock um, for very practical reasons. It's easier to find volunteers because uh, 5 o'clock is just before people eat here in the Netherlands. So it was really difficult to find uh, uh, the people to help me. Um, and also, it, I, I moved it to earlier in the day so that we could do this digital pizza moment, you know, socializing after Mass. And it turns out, and then we tried that twice, that it was extremely difficult to realize because after Mass there is so much that you need to clean up. And uh, I, I work with just a few people and they were all busy with the practicalities surrounding the mass, so that didn't work. So, um, and then from the starting on the first of July, our churches uh, in in these two parishes are going to open to the public again. So, I also wanted to make sure that people here in the area could join us for that international mass. Um, and then, of course, you you got to kind of step in, fall in step with the the rhythm uh, that people are used to and so seven o'clock is kind of a natural time for for uh, evening activities it's after dinner after they've done the dishes then that is the that's the good time so hopefully that'll work um and then i can always move that i thought that it, why didn't i think of that we can always eat beforehand and just start around i don't know five thirty, um and have a pizza before mass as long as we stop about a half an hour uh, before the beginning of mass then there will still be this this hour of uh, liturgical fasting so you're supposed to before you go to communion like an hour before the moment of communion you're not supposed to eat anything anymore if you're a catholic but that that is that is feasible that's totally feasible so well that's that's a big stone TV is one other big stone. And then the, uh, the third one that is just for now is going to be uh, moving the offices from the uh, old rectory to this one. That is a, it's not a very complicated job, but it still needs to be done. And it also requires me to, I'm here back at the rectory, going through the back door, the parish kitchen. 
It means I have to uh, get all the uh, uh, all my stuff upstairs, the first floor. Um, I also really need to have someone redo the floors. There's uh, some carpet on the first floor that is very old and, and also quite dirty. So I really would like to replace that with, uh, you know, wooden floors or something like that. So that that is that's something I need to. Uh, get done some of the furniture here on the first floor will have to go uh, or on the you know ground level will have to go upstairs and then we'll take some of the furniture that we're currently using in the office and bring it here and then create two fortunately we have two rooms here on the first on the ground level floor we've got the sunroom which is you know a nice place i think to meet and maybe also to eat and then um, the main the main room here I think it's big enough for uh, for two or three people to work. So, uh, and then we could also use that partially as a as a set for uh, short recordings, just like I do now with reaction videos, etc. That's all just filmed here uh, on the ground level. Um, so that that's another biggie. And then I think that's it. <laughs> I don't think I need to do anything else. I don't have to pile up uh, anything else on my plate. All the, all the rest is extra. It will fit in the smaller um, holes in the, during the day. And I'm going to make sure that among the pebbles and among the sand, there is also you know books that I want to read and games that I want to play and walks that I want to take. All right. Let me know what the big stones in your life are and if this was useful or not. You know how to get a hold of me in the comments on Patreon or uh, on social media. Take a look at the website, fatherroderick.com. Make sure you stay subscribed to my YouTube page, also Father Roderick. And um, thanks for listening. If you want to help, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Talk to you guys soon.